We ask for love, and the world offers what it has, but it's fleeting and momentary. To find the love that lasts, we have to pass through the glittering town square and open the city gate. Walk toward the pastures of uncertainty onto a long, narrow road under a cold but starry sky into a barn that's never noticed into the manger that holds all of the love of God. See, we expected it at the big party under the extravagant tree beneath the biggest bow and the shiniest paper. Instead, here it is, tiny, humble, helpless, offered. We kneel, overwhelmed. We almost missed you, even as we tried to celebrate you. Forgive us, Lord. Pour out your love so we can offer it to the world. Amen. Amen. Well, if you noticed, we kind of switched things up a little bit today. We had Mylan on Advent. We had me up here on worship. And we've got a very special guest here with us this morning. Uh, some of you may know him. Some of you may not. If you're new, his name is Pastor Tim Purcell. And he is here to bring the word this morning. And uh, he's Jason and I's boss. So give him a big welcome. Uh, welcome to Mr. Tim Purcell. And be good, please. Thank you. Hey, good morning. So you guys are kind of special to me. A few years ago, I got to fill in as interim pastor here for a while. So uh, it's just always great to come back and to see you. So greetings. Are you ready for this? Yeah. From the Northwest District of the Wesleyan Church. We are no longer the Iowa-Minnesota District. How many of you knew that? Oh, I don't even need to talk about it. <clears throat> we merged with the Northwest District this summer, and now our district goes in the northern part of the United States all the way from the Mississippi River to the Pacific Ocean, if you can imagine that. And I'm, I'm no longer the district superintendent. I'm an assistant still over this area, so you're not going to get rid of me anytime soon. Sorry about that. <clears throat> God's doing some really cool stuff. We've planted two churches in the last few months, one in Cedar Rapids, Revolution Community Church, and one in Sibley, Iowa, Celebrate Community Church. We've got two more on the drawing board for the Minneapolis area uh, in the next few months. We're excited about that. One thing that excites me, last year we started our very first Immigrant Connection in Mankato, Minnesota. Immigrant Connection is uh, a ministry that serves as the hands and feet of Jesus by providing low-cost or no-cost legal assistance to immigrants who are trying to navigate that whole confusing immigration process. And our immigrant connection have already helped four people become citizens of the United States. And we're pretty excited about that. So God's at work, but let's turn our attention to the word. Um, I, I'm excited to be able to be a part of this series you are calling God with us. Um, I was a pastor for 30 years before I took this position 13 years ago, and I particularly loved as a pastor preaching those wonderful Advent and Christmas themes, so this kind of scratches an itch for me. This morning, we lit the second Advent candle, the love candle. However, Mylan, as a Denver Broncos fan, I thought it was a little unloving for you to light the candle while wearing 
a chief's jersey. Sorry, it needed to be said. <clears throat> I may be just a little bitter. Okay, good, good, thank you. So we're going to drill down into this marvelous, desirable, but elusive quality called love. Our culture is in love with love. Tune into the radio, any radio station, and most of the songs will have as its theme, what? Love. The theme of love sells movie tickets. You could go home right now and 24 hours a day watch Hallmark movies until Christmas Day with the theme being love. And basically the same story line. High-powered lawyer comes home from the big city. <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> Make a movie about love and people will buy tickets to see it or tune into Netflix. We're in love with love. Perhaps, perhaps, for two reasons. One, we want to love and be loved so badly. But two, we're just so bad at it. Have you noticed that? We're just not very good at love. So before we get into this message, let's do a little quick definition. Uh, how do you define love? In our language, love can mean anything from the feelings that a parent has for a child to the emotions that a man and a woman passionately share with each other to your desire for a deep dish pepperoni pizza with extra cheese. And you would use the phrase or the term love for all of those. You may know that the New Testament was originally written in Greek and there are three, there are actually five or six, but three primary Greek words translated love. One is eros, which is passionate romantic love. One is phileo, which is friendship love. But the third word is agape. Agape has very little to do with emotions or feelings. It has a lot to do with attitudes and actions. It's the highest form of love there is. It's unselfish, it's sacrificial, it's unconditional. It's involved, it's tough. It never gives up. And this morning, we're not looking at one of the classic Christmas passages that you'll find in Matthew 1 and 2 or Luke 1 and 2, although we could and we would find all of these things that we're going to talk about today. Instead, we're going to do a deep dive into chapter 4 of John's first epistle, which is actually, I think you'll agree by the time we're done, a pretty good Christmas passage. And we're going to run into the word love a lot. And the word love, every time it's used here, is agape. Okay? 
Let's start with verses 7 and 8. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. If you happen to grow up attending Sunday school, how many of you did? Your very first memory verse probably was 1 John 4, 8. Not the entire verse, just three words of it. Say it with me. God is love. I remember when our son Mark came home from Sunday school. He was about three or four years old. And uh, he so proudly recited his memory verse to his mother and I. And he said, God is love. 1 John verse 4, verse 8. Well, the reference wasn't quite right, but his theology was spot on. God is love. So let's start with this introductory proposition. Love is not something God has or does. It is what he is. John says, God is love. Doesn't say God has love. Doesn't say God does love. God is love. C.S. Lewis said this, God loves us not because we were lovable. Thank goodness. The thank goodness words are mine, not C.S. Lewis. Not because we're lovable, but because he is love. Our worth, our performance has nothing to do with his love for us. And quite frankly, that's our only hope. And that's why he can love us unconditionally. His love for us is about his character, not yours. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. Conversely, there's nothing you can do to make him love you less. I struggled with that concept at first. You mean nothing I can do to make him love me less? It doesn't seem right. Well, it is right. Doesn't mean that there aren't consequences for actions and behaviors and sin. But it doesn't change his love for us. Because it's never been, it will never be about our performance. It always has been, always will be about his character. God is love. He can't not love. Okay? So love comes from God because it's what he is. I want to talk about four of characteristics, four characteristics of God's love. We're going to pull them out of verses 9 through 12. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also, lo- also excuse me, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Here's the first thing. God's love initiates. He loved first. 
John says he sent his one and only son into the world. This series is based on a phrase that you'll find in Matthew chapter 1 when the angel appeared to Joseph and assured him, it's okay, go ahead and, and take Mary as your wife. John 1, or excuse me, Matthew 1, 23, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's God initiating. Not God hanging out in heaven in the distance and saying, you know what, when you people can get your act together, maybe we'll talk. Emmanuel, God with us. It's stunning. He initiated. He came to us. He wasn't content just to leave us. Love initiates. Here are a couple more verses also out of 1 John 4. Verse 10, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice. Verse 19, we love. Why? Because he first loved us. So that's one characteristic. Love, his love initiates. It reaches out. It doesn't hold back. Agape love doesn't hold back for the other person to take the first step. Agape love initiates Emmanuel, God with us. Second characteristic of God's love is that it restores. It gives life. Verse 9 says this, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. When you really love somebody, you want them to live. That's why it's so painful when you see somebody you love making decisions you know that will destroy them. You've lived through that, haven't you? Oh, don't do that. Please don't do that. You won't find life there. When you really love someone, you want them to experience everything life has to offer. So here's the thing. God's desire for us is to restore to us everything that Satan stole from us. Going clear back to the Garden of Eden. When Satan tricked our first parents into that first act of rebellion, he created us to experience abundant life and eternal life, but then sin came into the world and messed all of it up. But Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, came to restore what was stolen. And to give us life, not only eternal life, but abundant. Not coincidentally, it was John who penned in his gospel, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. King James Version says, and have it more abundantly. Years ago, I was gripped 
by a quote from an author named Scott Cernow. It goes like this. We seek all things so that we might enjoy life. Christ gives us life that we might enjoy all things. We restlessly seek a life of abundance. Christ offers an abundance of life. So that's another characteristic of God's love. It restores what was stolen from us. It gives life. Here's the third one. God's love sacrifices. It does whatever it takes. Verse 10, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Sacrifice. Atoning. Sacrifice. Doing whatever it takes. It gives. It provides. Agape love is not selfish. Agape love doesn't play let's make a deal. A person who loves with agape love does whatever it takes. There's no mountain too high, no desert too wide. Think about the phrase, God with us. And what that simple phrase implies regarding the sacrifice that Jesus made. Let's start with an easy one. He gave up heaven for earth. How many of you know that's a rotten trade? Leaving the perfection of paradise to live on this sin-cursed planet. He gave up kingship for servanthood. Another lousy trade. From commanding universes with the Father to washing the feet of, of dirty, smelly human beings. From commanding angels to leading a band of no-name disciples. Never clinging to his rights as God. And he sacrificed omnipotence for a life of weakness. He voluntarily stepped into the limitations of earth. He went from omnipotence to an ordinary physical body needing food and water and sleep. He had to walk everywhere he went. He faced temptation. He had to pray. He felt emotions. He shed tears, and I'm sure he laughed often. Jesus wasn't just pretending to be human. He was just like us in every way, except one, that he was sinless. God's love went the distance. This was no half-hearted symbolic gesture like some Hollywood actor who flies to some third world country and snaps a few photos with needy people before he returns to his five-star hotel. God's agape love sacrificed, went the distance, did whatever it took to atone for your sin and mine. One more. God's love is limitless. The interesting thing about it is the more you give, the more you have. In verse 12, it says, God lives in us and his love is made complete. It's complete. It's never lacking. It never runs out. Agape love is not, listen, listen, 
It is not dependent on circumstances. It is not dependent on how lovable people are. It is dependent on our relationship with the Father because love comes from Him. And the only way you or I can love consistently is because love comes from God. I will love my wife better if I love him best. I will love you better if I love him best. If I allow my life to be a conduit of his love. Okay, so those are four pretty amazing characteristics. Pretty cool, huh? Well, hang on. Let's get to the hard part. We're going to call this love's command. Check out these verses. Back to 7 and 8 again. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who's been born of God and knows God, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God's love. Ouch. Verse 19, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he's not seen. And he's given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And let's get back into John's gospel for one more. Gospel of John, chapter 13. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. So here's the deal. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, love's a command, not a choice. It's not an option. John lays it on the line. He says, don't say you love God if you hate your brother. You cannot love God and at the same time hate a person whom God indwells. And this is a theme that shows up over and over and over and over in Scripture. If you love God, if you are connected with him, you will love others because he is love. Loving others is part and parcel of loving him. You cannot separate the two. And we don't love others as a means of earning God's love. <laughs> we love others because we have embraced God's love. Loving others is simply an extension of loving God. Okay, so I'm going to confess something to you. Can I trust you? Can you keep the secret between us? We're all friends here. I don't mind the command to love others, okay? I'm cool with that. The part that messes me up is Jesus' words, as I have loved you, so you must love others. That messes with me. See, 
I, I don't mind loving people as long as I get to define what love is. Yes, I lost my temper and screamed at you, but I did it in love. Here's the deal. It is incredibly costly. It is incredibly inconvenient to love people the way that Jesus has loved me. See, so here's, here's, the, here's the hard part. It's loving others the same way Jesus loved us. You know, we just talked about that. You know, initiating, not holding back. Um, really, really wanting to restore what was stolen. Wanting you to, to experience life, a, a sacrifice, being willing to go the distance, whatever it takes. And of course, never stopping love because Jesus never stops loving me regardless of how unlovable I am. So that's love's command. It's an extension of our love for God. So let's get really practical as I wrap things up. Two simple questions. Who needs my love this week? Maybe I should have worded it this way. Who does God need to love through me this week? I know, I know you're all familiar with this phrase. Who's my one? Does that ring a bell? Yeah. Do you have a name of someone? You should. Someone it would break your heart if they went to an eternity without knowing Jesus. So who, who, who needs that? And then the second, how? How can I love them the way Jesus loves me? Do I need to initiate? What do I need to do? Do I need to go first? What can I do to give that person life, to make their life a little bit better? What do I need to sacrifice? Here's the deal. Loving people the way God loves us sounds a little risky, doesn't it? I mean, you could get hurt, right? Let me put your mind at ease about the question you could get hurt, okay? You will get hurt. <laughs> so don't worry about, you know. Uh, ask Jesus how it worked out for him. God with us. But it's worth the risk. As C.S. Lewis said, hell is the only place outside of heaven when we can be safe from the dangers of love. As long as we're here, love will be risky. But we have to because we're connected to the one who is love. So dear friends, let us love one another. Why? For love comes from God. Let me pray with you. And then I think I have to go to Ankeny.
Lord Jesus, thank you for the privilege of being here. and Thank you, Father, for that incredible love that caused you to send Jesus, God, with us. As we wrestle with the implications of your incredible love, I pray that we would embrace it fully so that we can also give it fully. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless. So good to see you all.